0: Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Saturday, February 18th. Everyone was there. Today's scripture reading is found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 and 15 through 17 from the Message Translation, which reads, I looked again. I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages. And they were standing, dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the lamb and heartily singing. The one on the throne will pitch his tent there for them. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching heat. The lamb on the throne will shepherd them and will lead them to spring waters of life. And God will wipe every last tear from their eyes. This is God's Word. One of my current reads in this new year is Rachel Held Evans' book initially entitled Evolving in Monkey Town, How the Girl Who Knew the Answers Learned to Ask the Questions. It's since been republished with a new title, Faith Unraveled. Personally, I prefer Monkey Town. It's an autobiographical account of Rachel growing up in the faith handed to her by her church and her parents and how that faith eventually became her own. As she journeyed through doubt and learned this whole Jesus business is more about asking the questions than holding to the answers. It's a good read. I learned a few things I didn't know about the Scopes Trial in 1925, I think it was, which is why the book was first entitled Evolving in Monkey Town, since she went through her formative years in Dayton, Tennessee, where the Scopes Trial took place. Okay, anyway. At one point, she describes waking up at 2 in the morning, not being able to go back to sleep, and so getting up and doing what we all do when we wake up at 2 in the morning and can't get back to sleep. She grabbed her Bible and headed to the bathroom, where she read and pondered while sitting on the throne. And the place where she read was today's passage in Revelation. And it immediately set her mind spinning. She writes, As I sat staring at the mustard-yellow tiles around our shower, I wondered what exactly John saw and heard to convince him that the kingdom of God includes people from every nation, tribe, people and language, people from the north and the south and the east and the west. I imagine that he must <clears throat> Excuse me. I imagine that he must have seen women wearing glorious red, green and gold saris beneath their white robes. He must have seen voluminous African headdresses of every shape and color. He must have seen the turquoise jewelry of the Navajo, the rich wool of the Peruvians, the prayer shawls of the Jews. He must have seen faces of every shade and eyes of every shape. He must have seen orange freckles and cold-colored hair and moonlight complexions and the lovely flash of brilliant white teeth against black skin. He must have heard instruments of all kinds, bagpipes and lutes and dulcimers and banjos and gongs. He must have heard languages of every sound and cadence, melodies of every strain and rhythms of every tempo. He must have heard shouts of praise to Elohim, Allah and Papa God, shouts in Farsi and Hindi, Tagalog and Cantonese, Gaelic and Swahili, and in tongues long forgotten by history and he must have seen the tears of every sadness, hunger and loneliness, sickness and loss, injustice and fear, tsunami and drought, rape and war, acknowledged and cherished and wiped away. In one loud and colorful moment, he must have witnessed all that makes us different and all that makes us the same. Every now and then, we get lucky enough to catch a glimpse of the world as God sees it, a little revelation that gives us the hope to look beyond the confines of our current environment, be it exile or the bathroom. The fact is, while the Bible certainly speaks of God punishing the wicked, no single passage on judgment can compete with the scope and size of John's description of the redeemed. End of quote. And I'm guessing John also recognized some Ninevites and at least one Assyrian king. Which glimpse of the world, as God sees it, caused Rachel to observe some Christians are more offended by the idea of everyone going to heaven than by the idea of everyone going to hell? The near complete annihilation of humanity with the exception of a handful of souls and no one blinks. They're getting what they deserve after all, and God's ways are higher than our ways. But the prospect of a sweeping Nineveh-like inclusion of the bulk, or even oh, horrors to contemplate or even suggest all of humanity through those heavenly portals, and look, Buster, now you've gone too far. Now, to be clear, I believe there is and will be judgment, and I believe that redeemed humanity will be a huge part in the delivering of what the Hebrew scriptures call mishpat, the perfect, mercying justice of God. But just imagine how freely and how widely that mercying justice will be doled out, as where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And who knows? It might even cajole Jonah to finally come off of that fuming hill. So, as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder just how far and wide and expansive do you imagine the mercies of God to be? Why? Why do we tend to constrict and restrict those mercies? What will it take to conjole us off that fuming hill with Jonah? Lord, blow up the tight boxes into which I would insert your infinitely expansive and expanding mercies. Blow it up and blow me into my own grace awakening as you lead me into the heights and depths, the length and breadth of your love that surpasses all our understanding, all our imagining, all our surmising. Through your mercies.